Today we're returning to a familiar territory. We've covered a brilliant and formidable predator that seems to be unstoppable because of its powerful punch. But there's at least one item on its menu that's not going into the ring unprepared. But when you're going up against the title Tyson, you're probably not going to win a slugfest. Instead, this clever clam turns to a brilliant tactic to outsmart the killer crustacean. But sometimes, it pays to be bright in life, death, and taxonomy. Welcome back to Life, Death, and Taxonomy. It's your 30 minutes of interesting animal information. I'm Joe. And Mikiamo Carlos. Mikiamo? Uh, yeah, that's I said it because it's Italian for my name is Carlos. Oh, so yeah. I just came back from, from a, a tour, tour of Italy. Was, you went to Olive Garden and had a tour of Italy? There was lasagna, there was chicken parmesan, there was uh, fettuccine alfredo. It was amazing. It was only like twelve ninety nine. That's right. On, on Tuesday morning, when you were looking for your episode, Carlos was eating lasagna, and then that's what was yes. happening. Yes, I, I apologize for the lateness of this episode, but it was worth it because I got to spend six straight hours uh, as a double-ended hose after drinking some dis- some bad water in Venice on the flight back. So really? Was... Oh, wait, on the flight back? The flight back. I mean, this is the second time this has happened to you, right? Like it has. Yeah, this happened in Peru. Yeah, so the water in Venice was just so nasty. And they, like we closed the bathroom door to the hotel because it smelled like open sewage. So we didn't obviously didn't drink any of it, but I did brush my teeth with the sink water, which didn't smell bad, but it might have been the, had the same problem. So um, just 3:45 in the morning, we wake up to hit us a, a seven o'clock flight, and we get on the bus to the airport, and I just start I, I start the process. Oh my gosh! And and then for the and then we all through while we were waiting for the flight to take off and then all through the flight I was just I was just glued to the bathroom seat to the point where like we we landed with me s- sitting on the toilet in, really in in the plane they wouldn't let me get out because it was too dangerous you know when it's too tumultuous when you're landing so I was. I, they just locked me in the bathroom. They wouldn't let me come out. That's funny because you you don't have a seatbelt. You're just you're in danger in there as much as you would be walking to your seat. I would imagine. No, I can't. As long as I'm sitting, I guess I'm not. I'm not in as much danger because th- nothing can fall on me. I can't fall on anyone. I guess the, there was da- there was danger of like serious turb- turbulence sending me into this into the ceiling. I guess, which was probably why they banged on the door to tell me to get out several times. Um, but my my bowels were in no uh, position to comply with their 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 orders. That was the worst. That was those. It might be the worst six hours of my life. I can't imagine. Definitely the worst <laughs> worst uh, flight. When you when your stomach hurts and like that kind of stuff is happening and people are banging on the door, it's like you rue the day you were born. Yeah, and they're 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 yelling at me in Spanish, and so I'm also having to like do in. Like brain translations and what know. airline was it? It was it was Iberia. Oh. It's the it's a Spanish airline that goes to the Iberian and from the Iberian Peninsula. So that's what we took. Anyway, that that was that that was my yesterday. <laughs> and you thought you were like upset because you didn't have the episode, 
And and Carlos was pooping on a plane. And today we're talking, <laughs> we're returning to an old friend, but we're going to hear the other side of the story. More on that later. Who's our old friend? Oh, yes. And now I know what you're talking about. Yeah, we're talking, speaking of what we're talking about, would you like to say what we're talking about? Yeah, I want to I talk about it. Um, it's called, and this is just one nickname. I've got, I have a whole slew of nicknames that I didn't even make up. There was just, just what people have given them. But we're going to call it uh, the Disco Clam for now, uh, which is, of, of its nicknames, um, not not so illustrious. That's crazy. It's pretty illustrious. But le- <laughs> let's, l- let me illuminate the, the other ones. Okay. And the, oh, man, these are so good. So these are all given by people, because this, this clam is bought and sold in the exotic uh, animal trade. Yes, we have. So people... We have them to thank for the the like the measurements I've found. Yeah, there's not a lot of in research done on these, despite the fact that they're pets. But people do like to name them if they don't like to study them. Here's some nicknames: the Electric Flame Scallop. Love it. Sounds like a D and D move. It sounds like a sounds it sounds like a band from the '70s with uh, chart topping hits like Mr. Blue Sea and Don't Make Me Drown. <laughs> okay. <laughs> don't make me drown. <laughs> It's also known as the electric fire clam, the lightning file shell, the flamboyant bivalve, and the electric eye flashing fire shell. Oh my gosh. So good. Um, I'm going to call it, this is this is one's mine, uh, Friday Night Frights. Nice. And uh, here are two from you. Uh-huh. Uh, you I sent, you sent me a couple earlier today. Um, Earth, Wind, and Flame Scallop. Yep. <laughs> And Tony Molesco. Yeah. Which until I did not know until today was the is a playoff of the name of John Travolta's character in Saturday Night Fever. I was trying to think of something with just incorporating John Travolta. And I was like, there's really nothing Travolta-y about this clam. And then I've, I was like, he was in that. The, let me look at the movie that I've never seen that he was in that had to do with disco. And I just looked up the character name. And you're like, Perfect. I think it's Murano, <laughs> Tony Murano, something like that. I don't know. I will never. I'll probably never see that movie, unless it's over somebody's shoulder in an airplane. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen the the important um, clips of that. I think just like, um, I haven't even done that. I, it's it just sounds like a movie that I would not enjoy. You've probably seen the parody of it in extremely goofy movie. Oh, that's what that is. Oh, and it's probably also from Airplane. Maybe yeah, I would imagine. Uh, we're going to talk a lot more about why this clam has all of those amazing nicknames in- that include the word fire and flashing and lightning and flamboyant and electric uh, later on. But for now, let's taxonomize this baby. Sweet. It's in a kingdom we know, love, and are in. And that kingdom, as always, is Kingdom Animalia. Um I also saw one nickname that I didn't put on here, but it was King of the Ocean. And I was like, this does not deserve to be called the King of the Ocean. <laughs> yeah. This is not the this is not the Lion of the Ocean. Yeah, no. I, a, I, yeah, I feel like may, the, what, what could be? Maybe the, I feel like a killer whale is a good candidate. Just the largest ones, maybe yeah. like the blue whale. But I would say the killer whale just versus absolute apex predator. Yeah. Vote, vote in the comments. Ty, ty, tiger shark. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, so it's also it's an aphylum, uh, mollusca. 
So we're back to mollusks. We don't do mollusks very often. I think this is our first clam. I think it's at least our. I think it's also also our first bivalve, and which brings me to the class, which is bivalvia or bivalvia. Or Bavaria. Like B- uh, yeah, bivalvian cream pie. Yeah. Um, the order is Lamidia. <laughs> I'm reading it out oh. loud. Uh, oh, I, when I when I just glanced at it and typed it out, it was like Limida. Limadia. Oh, and it's not Limidia. There's only one. There's only two eyes. Uh, so it's L I M I D A. So it's it's really is uh, Limida or Limida. Okay. I I added the extra I in there because. Uh, Freudian slip. Yeah. <laughs> the genus is Tenoides. C T E N O I D E S. So I'm gonna ignore the C. Like we do in the word Nidarian, and just call this Tenoides. Uh, and the species is Ales or Alice or Alice, A L E S. So Tenoides Alice is the binomial nomenclature for the disco clan, hmm. or sorry, the electric eye flashing fire show. Right, of course, that's what we're gonna call it every single time. R- right, no, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna call it Tony. <laughs> okay. Since we're in the business of naming things, it's time for my favorite part of the show. Critter groups. There we go. Um, and that's this is the part of the show where I ask uh, Joe a question. That question is the same every time. And that is, what is the name of a group of this animal? Or what is the collective noun for this animal? And I'm, don't ask me what the other like renaissance term for it was. Oh, wait. Ter- terms of venery or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the collective noun. Uh, so, Joe, what's the collective noun of the name of a group of clams is it a a crust of clams is it b a bed of clams is it c a field of clams or is it d a crop of clams i'm gonna go ahead and say b bed of clams because i've seen alice in wonderland and there's the little clams in the clam bed you're talking about the walrus and the carpenter? Yes. Uh, clam so beds, final answer. You're correct. I knew it. I thought that would be... Uh, I instinctively knew that it was bed for some reason. So did I. And so I was just looking up to verify. Oh, no. I, I absolutely didn't know. I was like, oh, this is going to be too easy. I absolutely knew that. I was actually stalling for time because I was trying to look up the exact lyrics, but I just couldn't find it fast enough. Uh. <laughs> I knew it was clam beds. <laughs> I was like... Uh, sometimes I realize, like, at once we're we already have the animal na- nailed down. I was like, oh man, this is going to be a rough critter groups for me at least, <laughs> an easy one for you. But I, I feel like I do know that because of Alice in Wonderland. It's in my. It's I, in my brain. I would not have gone to that. It's kind of a messed up story to be in a kids book. Yes. All right, so let's talk about where this the for where Tony lives. Uh, he lives all over the Indo-Pacific part of. Uh, the ocean, which is a region that goes pretty much from Madagascar almost all the way to South America, well past Hawaii. So all of that area underneath India and Southeast Asia and all through Indonesia and the islands contained therein. It likes tropical waters specifically, which is not unlike myself. (laughs) So let's talk about what this thing looks like, because that's important. Basically, it looks like a pair of voluptuous and also horrifying red lips. 
Well, it's actually kind of like a bright orange, reddish, maybe more orange. Uh, there are dozens of tentacles coming out of these lips. And the entire kit and caboodle is housed in a regular-looking clamshell. So the clamshell is actually nothing no, nothing to write home When about. it's closed, it looks pretty normal. Yeah, but when it's open and the clam comes out, it's this, like, anemone thing. Um, and it can obviously retreat all the way into the shell if it's threatened. I mean, clams can get pretty big. But how big For sure. are they? You ready? Uh, some are big, really big. Welcome to the beloved Measure Up segment, the official listener's favorite part of the show. The part of the show when we present the animal size and dimensions of relatable terms through a quiz that's fun for the whole family. It's also part of the show that's introduced by you when you send in your audio of yourself singing, saying, or chittering the words Measure Up into ldtaxonomy at gmail.com. I'm gonna s- did you have that memorized or did you read I'm it? I'm reading it. Okay, because that was really fast. But it's the same every time, so I'm trying to read it as fast as possible. Reading things quickly without like stumbling is not my strong suit. but It's, it's not mine either. That's why it takes several tr- takes to try to do the intros and outros to the, these episodes. Same. Uh, but we do have a new Measure Up intro from, I think, Abby and Joel. You know who these people are? Uh, would you like to introduce I cer- them? I certainly do. They are my uh, sister and brother-in-law, respectively. Amazing. And uh, they were also seated around the table when I handed them uh, Bibby's phone and asked them to say measure up. What a treasure trove this table was. Yeah, it was. It was. They were the. There are knights of the round table. And the table wasn't even round. It was oblong. <laughs> maybe like a large, large oval with flanges on the side. This is, the, I think, the last of this blessing upon our podcast that came from that table. So if you have, if you, if you would like to submit, send us an email. Without further ado, the listener's favorite part of the show. Measure up! Oh, uh, I forgot to mention that Bibby is also in, is it, is in this one. Yeah, she was the person who said up at the very end. (laughs) Okay, always a a welcome addition. Uh, But thank you. That was that was. Yep, thanks you guys. Boisterous as, as we like to say sometimes on this show. Let's get right into length. According to exotic aquarium websites that uh, that I found their these the the dimensions on, they're between uh, one inch and two point five inches. Let's call that two inches. How many disco clams go into the diameter of the world's largest disco ball? I bet you it's in Shanghai. Uh, According to the Guinness World Records. Here's a hint. The ball was created for the four-day UK music festival called Bestival (laughs) in 2014. (laughs) Isn't that a good name for (laughs) This is the best. That sounds like someone who is just high as a kite would come up with. This is the best of all. <laughs> it also just sounds like something that you would say as a joke and then everyone would be like, why not? You know, let's just call it that. Uh, it sounds like something sh- someone should have come up with a thousand years ago. <laughs> I think it started um, in the 90s. Basically the same thing. I wonder if it's bigger than the ball that drops on New Year's Eve. Probably not. If uh, the Epcot ball was just more reflective, it could have been a contender. I, yeah, what qualifies it as a disco ball? I think maybe it, maybe it has to be reflective, like mirrored, and also maybe it has to spin, or maybe not. 
I'm not sure about the spinning thing. Does it have to be supported on a string? Because the Epcot I don't think balls so. could certainly not be supported on a the string. The pictures of this one look like it was on the ground. Hmm. I would guess it just has to be a round ball with many, many mirrored sides that are able to f- reflect light in a fun way. I'm going to say 30 feet. Although you said the Epcot ball could be a contender, and that thing is enormous. Well, well a contender can win, and a contender can also lose. Yeah, but I mean, can, you just don't refer to things as contenders that are absolutely going to dominate the competition. What? Well, I called it a contender so that it, you wouldn't know exactly how big the thing was. But, um, all right, 30 feet, and this thing's two inches, so that means that there are six of them in a foot, and six times 30 is 180. Uh, final answer? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's my final answer. The correct answer is 203 clams. So you're... That is well, pretty It's pretty close. close because the ball was uh, 10.33 meters or 33 feet and 10 inches. Oh, I was I, that was a really close guess. Yeah. Did I get my math right? I think so because like, yeah, you would add a, just like adding a few feet when the thing is only two inches would considerably raise the amount of clams needed yeah you definitely did yeah i was right i did i did <laughs> all righty i bring it on not bad not bad at all let's talk about lifespan i know my disco the disco clam lives between 27 and 30 years in captivity uh let's call it 30 years how many disco clam lifespans go into the amount of time between now and the first number one song on the American disco charts, according to Billboard, the Billboard magazine? Uh, here's a hint. The first ever number one disco <laughs> song was Gloria Gaynor's Never Say Goodbye. And it's a bop. It's not bad. I like it a lot. It's a bop. Yeah. It's something the kids are saying. Oh, is this is. Oh, it's not something that they said back then? No. Well, maybe. Sometimes stuff like that resurges. It's a bop. So you're not looking for a, uh, a number with a decimal. Not. Yeah, I know. I'm looking for a number with a decimal because it can't possibly be two. It has to be one point something. Because yeah. it's because. Disc- yeah, actually, Disco is 200 30. years old. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it was two, then it'd be 60 years. And that would put us back to. Uh, well. Put us back to 1960, which is definitely pre-disco. And then, if it was just one, that would put us back to 1990. So we're gonna have to go with. I'm, I'm gonna go just before the beginning of the decade, 1969. But I'm gonna have to. I, that's that's too that's too precise of a decimal for me to even guess at. So we'll go with 1970. 1.65. Okie doke. The correct answer is 1.53 disco clams, uh, disco clam lifespans. Uh, the song made the charts in 1974. That's the first disc. Oh, to top the charts. Yeah. So for some reason I was thinking about the first disco song ever. Uh, the 19, no, uh, see, I tried to find that and it's, 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 it's highly debated. Of course. The, this, the billboard didn't like, um, measure, um, disco songs on its own chart until 1974. So this was the first time they had they even had this chart. Got it. Got it. Okie doke. Now we know more about disco. Yeah. And a little bit more they s- about the electric 
eye flashing fire shell clam. The the roots of disco are hard to pinpoint because they they are it's rooted in like music that came from discotheques, but discotheques when they first started were playing stuff like Led Zeppelin. You know, so like everyone's like, well it can't be like that kind of music because that's not disco at all. And then it's just like it's so fluid as as genres tend to be. Yeah, you're talking about music genres and there is no way to pinpoint them on a molecular scale like that. Okay, okay, that's all. all Let's talk about some fast facts. Okay, go for it. So since this is the first bivalve we've done on this show, let's talk a little bit about clams. Uh, Bivalves are mollusks that have laterally compressed bodies, meaning they have two bodies that are smushed together, um, and they're all wrapped up snug and tight in a shell. And that shell is made up of two sides, also known as valves, bivalve, two valves. Um, And those valves are made up of calcium carbonate and are connected by a hinge that's held together by interlocking teeth and a flexible ligament running between them. So uh, that allows them to open and close, but also not to, for the two halves not to float apart. Uh, And so bivalves include oysters, scallops, mussels, and you guessed it, clams uh they don't have heads or brains but they do have four these in particular not all clams um but you know tony has 40 simple eyes uh to detect light and shadows so they can they know where something is generally um and they also have that certain sulfuric touch that i think is lacking in today's modern bivalve Always too afraid to offend, never brave enough to douse their enemies in acid. It's sad, really. But seriously, they got footage of the venerable heavyweight mantis shrimp trying to make an easy meal out of Tony, and that's that's saying that's saying something because remember that if you go back to our original episode on the mantis shrimp, um, it has a punching force of a twenty-two caliber bullet. So the shell is not going to be doing much work, but. The mantis shrimp pulled back in pain and disgust when it touched Tony's toxic feelers. So don't mess with the best. Sulfuric acid is not something to be messed with. Um, Also, Tony, like other members of the order Limidae, um, (laughs) he is able to swim using a... I, I imagine he's able to swim, actually, because I couldn't find very much information on Tony at all. That didn't have to do with the major fact. Um, but he is in the order of Limidae, which is means that he is likely able to swim using a combination of flapping his shell and using his uh, tentacle feelers to move around. Um, but he usually spends most of his time nestled in uh, a rock cranny or nook or whichever you like. Because, like almost all clams, uh, Tony does not use his fierce weaponry to catch prey he's a leaf eater more specifically he's a phytoplankton phytoplankton eater so he just kind of sits there in this this cranny or nook and uh, he filters the phytoplankton through his weird orange clown lips and um, just enjoys just what what comes adrift in his way and um, that's 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 all I got that's it for the general info okie doke well, let's get into it. The major fact, disco fever. One of the 
uh, disco clam's main predators is the infamous mantis shrimp, like you mentioned. The first defense for a clam is usually to close up tight and wait for predators to pass. It's usually enough for most predators, but the mantis shrimp has a powerful punch, like you mentioned, and then we talked about before. Go listen to that episode. Um, and it can break through the clam's calcium carbonate defenses. However, when the mantis shrimp approaches this disco clam, uh, it breaks the first rule of being a clam, which is to stay closed. Uh, it can it opens up, um, and then the disco clam gets its name for its ability to produce a bright flashing display along uh, the edge of its mantle. Um, the mantle is inside the shell. Uh, when the mantis shrimp approaches the clam opens up and begins its brilliant display mantis uh, the mantis shrimp have been observed stopping their attacks and going into a catatonic state for up to 15 minutes upon seeing this lindsay doherty or lindsay doherty um, is a prominent disco clam researcher uh, and uh, she, she's uh, been exploring the way this clam makes light. Uh, researchers in the 90s found that the clam's light display doesn't work in the same way that uh, other light-producing sea creatures do. Um, so it's not bioluminescence. It's a chemical reaction. Well, uh, well bio bioluminescence is a chemical reaction that produces light, um, but it's not that. Instead, it's a sophisticated reflector system called silica nanospheres so it's not producing the light at all it's reflecting no uh silica nanosphere silica is extremely refractory which means it's very good at reflecting um i think uh and then nanospheres means little spheres so Lindsay says she compares these Little nanospheres to tiny disco balls. Oh my goodness! It's it's a disco ball through and through. It it's is a disco ball made um, of disco balls. <laughs> yeah, it's the spirit of disco. I'm gonna say Lindsay because I don't know if her last name is pronounced Doherty it's, or Doherty. It's probably Doherty. I've seen. I, oh, I, I had a coach really? in in middle school with that last name is Doherty. I've literally heard it both ways. D like Dordo E R T Y. I've heard it Doherty. And Doherty, so... Uh, Lindsay found that their mantles are made of two different types of tissue. Uh, the silica lip reflects light, uh, while uh, the other side of the mantle absorbs light, making the silica appear brighter. Uh, this allows them to reflect ambient light that makes its way down to the ocean floor. Um, it's less, less useful at night or in the pitch dark, However, it's much brighter during the day. Bioluminescence usually can't be seen during the day, but this can. Uh, researchers are looking at how they use this ability. Um, it seems clear that they use it to ward off predators. In lab tests, when they're startled by fake predators, the clam, the clam uh, speeds up the reflective flashing. Um, the, the mantis shrimp... Uh, are clearly very bothered by this flashing display and in addition to the stupor it puts them in they've also been seen like cleaning their mouth parts in response um so Lindsay was talking about how like they're not extreme like mantis shrimp are not picky eaters 
but for some reason when they come across this they they're bothered they don't they they don't like it they maybe are even disgusted by it because they clean their mouths uh, after attacking uh so they they are they are not happy with the flashing so the clams have also been observed flashing faster when given food so one theory is that maybe they use it to attract prey even though that they they we know them to eat phytoplankton maybe they also use it to attract an occasional prey species so they can't they can't see their own flashing you talked about their eyes or their their kind of basic eyes um that but they they can't actually uh see the flashing patterns and displays that they produce um so it, it's probably not meant to communicate with one another so it for right now it looks like it's just used for warding off enemies i wonder if it's like specifically tailored to the mantis for shrimp. the to the mantis shrimp because they have very very unique eyes go listen to that episode but like they see colors we don't see they you know see light spectrums we don't see they have trinocular vision that that their eye make their eye structure is what inspired the logo for this show three sections with a pupil in each section yeah so they they have some of the most advanced eyes on earth so i guess by if you if you like give them a strobe effect they kind of shut down but then there's the what does the clam do that forever because eventually they have to stop the show and the mantis rip is still sitting right in front of them well clams can bury themselves and swim away well only certain um what they're called file shells can can uh move by closing their their valves true like that but this maybe is the mantis shrimp leaves out of uh, pure disgust. It's like, oh yeah, that's that's sulfur over there in those tentacles. I don't want a part of it. <laughs> yeah, that's like, yeah. Uh, the fact that it it can't see its own like annoying flashing reminds me of the fact that like when it's like when I'm uh, on the on PS4 with Brian or uh, playing games and i'm sitting in my really annoying squeaky chair but my headphones are on so he can hear it over the the microphone but i can't hear it you're 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 blind so I, to it. I'm, I'm basically a disco clam in that regard yeah maybe this this disco clam is like jj abrams it just puts a lot of flashing lights and can't see it himself <clears throat> this is a normal movie i don't know what you guys are talking about <laughs> like yeah you know you know how to increase the tension or confusion in any scene just all of the lights are defective all the time <laughs> the, the or the camera lens is oh yeah the camera lens or the has camera's like pointed, water spots on it yeah the camera's pointed directly at any light source and it's always as bright as the sun just <laughs> lens flares and, and and electric light flashes and that's that's basically the entire movie that's what the, that he that's all the director of photography needs to do. He's got two jobs and that's flick the light switch and also aim the camera directly at the sun. Everyone knows that in Star Trek, whenever any part of the ship is hit, all the, the electrical system is just toast cuz lights flash and it sparks and just goes awry. Yeah, but you remember in the fir- the first part of the the Force Awakens all of the stormtroopers are landing in a perfectly fine ship and all of the lights are flashing 
Like that's true. Like, yeah, give all your stormtroopers a minor epileptic seizure just before starting their kill brigade. <laughs> well, it's because it's because power is diverting to the shields and stuff. Because that's how power works, right? Yeah, yeah. You you have about you only have about like like what six pounds of of power and you can either put it all (laughs) into the the engines or you can put it into the lights and sometimes the engines just need more love than the lights do i think there's like i think there's some rhyme and reason to that like like scheduled blackouts on like power grids that's what they're for they like yeah but scheduled blackouts on power grids happen because those power grids are 30 years older than they should be (laughs) <laughs> Not well, like, because the first uh, order it, has risen out of the ashes of the empire be- after the absence of Luke Skywalker. Well, there, there's 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 like logic to we'll turn off this thing to conserve power so we have more for the shields or whatever or the blasters. But like in Star Trek, the shields get stronger if they stop like flushing the toilets or something. So <laughs> I, I don't know. Just put more power in the ship. Anyway. <laughs> this is a, this is an interesting tangent, but for you out there, yeah. The, the, so that was that was the um, the disco clam. That's mm-hmm. the electric fire clam, the lightning file shell, the flamboyant bivalve. Tony Molesco. So ha- for you out there in podcastia, have a stiff upper lip, take a step out of your shell. And don't be afraid to offend and dazzle your enemies like Tony Molesco, the electric eye flashing fire shell here in life, death, and taxonomy. Hey, LDT listeners, do you have an animal suggestion for our next episode? We usually try to find a place to put suggested interesting animals on our list. If you know of a creature with an amazing ability, let us know by emailing ldtaxonomy at gmail.com or connecting with us on Twitter or Facebook at LD Taxonomy. Thanks for listening and engaging. Life, Death, and Taxonomy is my favorite in the world podcast. <laughs>